on Ephesians series, and uh, basically what we're talking about is what it means to be a community of blessing, and that is the church. And I think Paul is laying the foundation of identity for the people of God, for the church, what it means to be the church. It's not a building, it's not this or that, but really it begins with our identity in Christ and what Christ has done. And this has, this identity has implications. And Ephesians 2, the second half of Ephesians uh, that Erica just read is actually, if you were to ask me what, if, what is like, if you wanted to give a passage for the church, this is, this would be the passage that I choose. Like, what is Renew about? Or what is, what should any church be about? Um, this would be one of the ma main passages that I present. Um, and with that, I think traditionally, uh, when we look at this passage, um, you see unity, you see peace, Christ is our peace, Christ is our unity. Um, but I can't read this passage and get away from the fact that culture is involved, race is involved, uh, division, G uh, Paul was addressing division, segregation, conflict, differences, and the way that people approach God, even physical differences. Um, so, you're going to hear some of that come out, and that's that's one of the uh, one of my passions, and I think the passion in the New Testament of Jesus and of Paul that he's called and he's calling the church the ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of peace, and um, and this is a major thing in this. But I wanted to start off with an illustration. One of my most embarrassing moments as a pastor came in one of my first times preaching in a church. I grew up, or uh, I came up in the parachurch doing campus ministry, speaking at UW and Guggenheim, all these lecture halls, but never really spoke a lot in a church, much less big churches, much less churches that are filled with people that look different than me. And so my first foray into preaching in front of a church made up of people different than me uh, when, is when I was, when we were first thinking about planting Renew, uh, this church, and I had a church planning kind of mentor, and I, he invited me to his church in Bellingham to preach. And so I was all prepared, and they had this wonderful church, little church, a stage, and in the back of the stage, behind it was a baptismal, right? It was baptismal, you know, where people get baptized, so it's like a giant bathtub. And, you know, you fill it with water and people get baptized and stuff. Uh, but this time it was empty. There was no baptism service or anything like that. And me being, wanting to be out of the box and funny, wanted to illustrate near and far. Right? And if you are like me and grew up with Sesame Street, the old school Sesame Street, you remember Grover, right? Grover had those, you know, floppy arms. He'd be really great at the floss. Right, with his floppy arms. Uh, but he'd do this demonstration on Sesame Street, right? He'd run up and say, near, and go back and go far, near, far. So I'm really getting into this at this church, really being physical and demonstrating it, and doing the whole Grover thing, and I'm going, near, far, near, 
And I go, fuck. <laughs> but that was my most embarrassing moment. And that was only like in the beginning of my sermon at the time. So I had to come back out, totally red. Everyone like, are you hey, okay? And I had to give, you know, preach with authority. <laughs> uh, so thankfully, you know, whatever. But it was really embarrassing. But I think this is the dynamic that Paul is working with as he's addressing the church at Ephesus and the other churches in the circular letter in Asia Minor is what it means to be, or he's dealing with the dynamic of people who feel inside and outside, right? And he's specifically addressing the Gentiles in the church at Ephesus who are not Jews. Um, and he describes them in verse 11, you Gentiles, by physical descent who were called uncircumcised, by Jews who are physically circumcised. And you remember, circumcision was kind of the command uh, given to Abraham in the Old Testament to the people of God that would set them apart from people of other nations. They would, when uh, young men became age 12 or 13, they would be circumcised. Um, and so even to that day in the church, Jewish Christians were circumcised, but the Gentiles were not because that wasn't a part of their background, that wasn't part of their culture. And so that in and of itself, as Paul is doing his ministry of church planting, and the gospel is expanding out and out and out, right? And including Gentiles, not just Jewish people, uh, this, this influx of phys even physically different, culturally different Gentiles are entering the church and they're intermingling. They're worshiping together and yet there's tension. The tension is that for some who were in, Right, could not let go of that cultural piece. Right? To be a, the people of God, to be true worshipers, you have to be physically this way. Right? And you have to eat this way. And what, what, what do we do when people are coming in and following Jesus and becoming a part of the way and entering our churches from different backgrounds and cultures and they eat differently? Right? And they don't have the same rituals. That, they're not completely in. Right? They can't be completely in. They're just, maybe they're kind of second class citizens. Right? Maybe they're just residents in this place. Maybe they're just strangers and aliens. Not, not fully a part of this place. Are you with me? Yeah. And so Paul is addressing this barrier. Um, and he calls it the barrier of hostility, right? The barrier that keeps um, the outsiders out from truly worshiping in spirit and truth, from truly having access to worship the God of the universe, to, to follow Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know about you, have you ever felt on the outside of a group before? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of us have experienced that. You know, you go and there's a group of ladies or a group of men and 
they're, they have all their inside language and they have, they're gossiping and they have, you know, maybe at work you're new to a job or you're new to school or you're on a sports team and you're a pickup on a sports team and they've been playing together and they have all this chemistry together and they, or you're on a, you know, different work unit or you're, you were at Boeing Everett and you were sent down to Redmond for a long time. <laughs> it's like, this is not my people. And every time I try to say something, people don't understand, right? Or I try to understand their inside talk and I don't get it. And you can feel on the outside. Growing up as a second generation Korean American from immigrant <coughs> uh, parents who immigrated into the US, there are times when I felt on the outside, especially when I lived in Dallas, Texas, right? Where I was like, no Asians, no Korean Americans for like miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, right? And people, yeah, anyway, that's another story. Um, but how you can feel on the outside of things. And actually the history of our country is the history of tension between those who are citizens and residents in our country and those who are new and foreign, right? And it hasn't always been just like Asians or people who look different, right? Back in the day, it was Irish, Italian, right? Because why? Because they were new immigrants and they were taking, the fear was they were gonna be taking jobs, right? So there was a lot of prejudice and um, oppression of Irish or Italian. And so every generation, there's a new group where the citizens of the country kind of focus their ire on that group. You are the competitors. You are outside. And so that's the dynamic we have tried in our history to push those outsiders because of fear, because of the other, and because of competition. Now, obviously, you know, we have a whole slew of issues when it comes to immigrants from Mexico, from Southeast Asia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the dynamic, I think, is heightened because even back in the, when there were Irish and Italians coming, within a generation or two, they were assimilated more easily into American culture. Why? Because it was a European culture, dominant culture. So everyone looked the same, right? But as an Asian American, even though I was born in the US and I speak English quite perfectly and eloquently, <laughs> right? People from a distance who don't know me would be like, or they'll come and ask me, are, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Seattle. Where are you from? Uh, North Seattle. Where are you from? Victory Heights. Where are you from? Uh, I was born in Hawaii. Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? And finally, I know what they're asking, right? My parents were from Korea. Oh, do you speak Korean? Oh, I love kimchi, right? Okay, that's your connection point with me. There's so much more that makes me. But because of what I look like, I'm perpetually other, right? In the eyes of other people. And this is what Paul is addressing, right? There is a, he's, he's actually being pastoral and encouraging to the, to the Gentile Greeks in the church at Ephesus. He's saying, you feel far away. And this message is for you. To you who feel on the outside of things, to you who feel far away because of culture, because you are not the insider, let me tell you about what Jesus did. 
Right? And this is what Paul has been talking about the whole time. What are the gifts and the spiritual blessings that we have because of who God is and what Jesus did on the cross? And because of what Jesus did on the cross, the first half of chapter 2 last week, we talked about vertical, a vertical relationship. Right? Remember Paul said, you were dead. Before you knew Jesus, you were dead. And then the twist, right? But God, in his mercy and his grace, sent Jesus and reconciled you to God, gave you access, gave you adoption, an identity as part of the family. Amen? And now, in the second half, our passage today is more about a horizontal relationship. Right? You are an enmity with one another. There are two groups, right? And Christ, with his body, broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. And notice that Paul does use us and you, right? So he's putting himself in the voice of uh, Paul being a Jew. Uh, he was once a Pharisee and the most extreme of all Pharisees. And actually, if anyone was to do cross-cultural ministry, it would be Paul, right? Because he was a Roman citizen, and he was a, once a Pharisee, a zealous Pharisee. So, the Jew of all Jews. And so, um, he's saying, there was a Christ came, and with his very body, right? His very body torn and ripped apart for the sake of the world. That created peace. That created peace and broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. Um, so, a little bit of context. Next slide. So, this is Herod's temple. Herod rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem and uh, made it even more magnificent. Um, and so, the temple, the inner temple part, was located in an elevated position. And in this position was the inner, the, the court of the priests, the Holy of Holies. So if you remember in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies was where the actual presence of God resided. And so only the priests could come and make atonement for the people's sins once a year, going into the Holy of Holies. Right? Um, and so that's that. And around the Holy of Holies, the inner temple was what? A very thick curtain that surrounded it. So if you remember when Jesus was crucified and he said, it is finished, it's done. The temple veil ripped, right, in two. And we'll get back to that image. But here is a court of, uh, court of men court of and court of women. And this is for... Uh, those who were clean, considered clean, which were Jewish people. But outside here, there's a wall, right? And it's called a sorai, right? And this wall uh, kept, separated these inner courts from the court of the Gentiles. And this was a very large court. And everyone else who wasn't pure hung out around here. And so when you read the Gospels, you read about Jesus you know, preaching and teaching around the synagogue, he was in the court of the Gentiles, hanging out with the peeps, preaching, 
right, and teaching, um, which was it's cool in of itself. If you get to the next slide. So on the soaring would be, every once in a while, would be these stones. And these stones, uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, talked about these stones, that, that they would uh, be warning stones on the Soric walls, saying, those who are Jews, outsiders, foreigners, do not pass this wall, do not pass this point, or you'll be punished by death. And so people read this in the histories of Josephus, but in 1871, actually one was discovered. One was actually in an archaeological dig, was discovered. Um, inscription and they translated it. Uh, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever's caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will soon follow. <laughs> so this was real, people. This was real. And yet there were people who would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem, Gentiles as well, God-fearers, who would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem to worship. And they would only be allowed access in the court of the Gentiles. And this is where Jesus spoke and taught uh, most of the time. And I, what I think is amazing is Paul using this image, this contextual image, and flipping the script on it and saying, right, you have this stone, just imagine this stone in the background. But he's saying Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. Right? Because Jesus is overturning this whole system, this whole way, and placing himself as the chief cornerstone, a new foundation. He, Christ himself used that imagery, right? In three days, I will destroy this temple. Right? In three days, I'll, it'll rise again. And Christ was basically saying, I'm, I'm the temple. right? I'm the living temple. I'm the new temple. And in me, everyone has access. Everyone can come. And that's why Christ, Jesus got so fired up when he threw out the money changers. right? It's because they were exploiting outsiders coming into worship. And he was saying, you're messing up with the access. Because in me, everyone has access. Because in me, everyone has an inheritance. And so Christ, the, build, uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Right? The foundation of the ecclesia, of the church, is Jesus. Not this, not culture, right? Not tradition, not this, these rules, but me. Amen? He's, Jesus is like the ultimate hobbit, the ultimate Frodo, right? We're all fighting in the Fellowship of the Ring. We're all fighting. No, no, no. The dwarves and the elves are fighting. No one's going to take the ring. And it's the hobbit that says, I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. It's, it's the person of peace, right, that comes, that actually lays down power through self-sacrifice, right? It's Jesus is the one that can lead us into unity, into peace. Does that make sense? Yeah. Except he's Jesus, not a hobbit, right? And the son of God and all of that stuff. 
Uh-huh. So it's like extra. Just clarify in case we're not a club here or anything like that. Um, so uncircumcised, circumcised, the dividing wall of hostility, Jesus has erased that, has taken that away. And that's what all that first part is up to verse 18. We both, and verse 18 is the crux, we both have access to the Father through Christ by one spirit. That's an amazing verse. If you just, we could like have a whole series on that verse. We both have access to the Father through Christ by one spirit. Right? We both. Inherent in what Paul is saying is that there is a tension between groups, and in Christ there's a hope of reconciliation and a path of reconciliation. Also in that verse is the is very Trinitarian. We both have access to the Father through Christ by one spirit, right? To the Father through Christ by one spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's hit 19 through 22. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you belong to God's household. As God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in him, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. You know, back in the day, my dad did one of those, uh, before there was 20, what is the genetic gene testing? 24ME, right? Where you can see where you're, before that, it was like name etymology, right? So you'd send in your name and like some of the names of your, you know, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, and they would come back and say, oh, you're from this family, this family. And so my dad, he sent in his name. Our name is Sim, right? But actually, Sim is actually in Korean, is Shim, right? But when, we, when my dad immigrated over, they anglicized it to Sim. Right? So it's easier because you know people named Sim, right? And you know people named Sim. And in fact, Sim is like one of the easiest names you can pronounce, right? S-I-M. My name is Dave Sim. But without fail, 80% of the time, people who don't know me add an S at the end. They go, Sim? Dave Sim? Dave Sim? Right? I'm not Billy related to Billy Sims, the Detroit Lions running back, right? I'm not related to Bill Sims, the... New York Giants, you know, quarterback, right? But they, when they read Sims, they hear Sim, they hear Sim, right? Because it's what's closest to their experience, right? Anyways, this is all the same. When my dad got the, the report back, it's like, you are a part of the, you know, Nova Scotia line of knights or whatever, like, you know, like the Sim, the Sim, the uh, lion-hearted or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, this ain't right. <laughs> no. But, but that sense of, yeah, what is my heritage? What is the bloodline? Right? And, when, and even in Christian circles now, when we read like the Apostles' Creed and stuff, we believe like we're in the line of the Apostle. Right? None of us are actually in the bloodline of Apostles. Right? But there's a spiritual like, lineage. Um, 
And I think Paul is really touching on that. Like, we're family in God. And come in. You belong. You're a part of God's inheritance. You're a part of the line of God. You're not other. You're not foreigner. He's using all those images. You are not alien, right? Undocumented. You're documented. your family in the household of God. Are you with me, church? Church, that's that's that'll preach in a church, right? We're being built together. We're not coming to a building, right? Come to a building and do this to me. Come to the building and sing at me. Come to a building and preach at me. Come to a building and do, 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 do. give me my children's ministry so I can drop them off and leave them alone, right? Like, <laughs> give me a program. Yes. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> um, but. All of us are being built together, Amen. relationally, people coming, interacting, reconciling, right? Having conflict. Amen? Amen. Uh, I like conflict. <laughs> I was like, I'm waiting for it in my church. Um, 
and verse 20, together, you're being built together um, into a dwelling place. Right? All of those have the oikos phrase, oikos peace. Um, that's powerful. That's powerful because oikos, the household, was actually the building block of the Greco-Roman society. Right? So the Greco-Roman society and its values were based on the paterfamilias, which is the father family, right? It's a patriarchy, it's a hierarchy. And in that household included the servants, the slaves, the children, the wife, the spouses, right? And even kind of economic relationships were all a part of that uh, paterfamilias or household. And everyone kind of submitted to the rule of the father, of the head father. Um, but the father, or Kyrios, the Lord, right? The Lord um, also provided protection, you know, gave good things to his people, took care of his family, his household, his people. Um, it was such a big part of the Roman, the Greco-Roman society that um, civically, the government, the empire, the Roman Empire, um, named Caesar actually as the head of the entire household. So the whole empire was the household of Caesar, right? And uh, he was the Kyrios, the lord of the household, right? And so you see where I'm going is Paul is being subversive to the current, and this word subversive is gonna be really important when we get to the, the household codes and how we read the household codes, Paul is putting an inception in, right? He's using the context of the Greco-Roman household, right, to say, that's, let me offer you the alternative. God's household versus the household of Caesar. You get it? So when you read the household codes later, it's not necessarily like, this is what God endorses. This is the context of the culture of the time, and let's do something radically different. Let's talk about submission, right? Mutual submission. So we'll get to that. I'm excited about that part. Uh, and it's like a lot of good thinking in that. But anyways, it's the, the household of God versus the household of Caesar. The household of God versus the household of Caesar. And remember in the Old Testament, um, with Moses in the Exodus, it was the fear of Pharaoh or the fear of God, right? The, the people feared Pharaoh, so they wanted to stay. Or the people feared God and they left, right? There's this kind of the empire versus God, right? The Pharaoh versus God. And uh, Paul is working with that imagery with household. It's household is a spiritual, a social, a civic, you know, um, Kind of institution, and and Paul is setting up God as the Lord or Kyrios. Curiously enough, Kyrios, you know, Caesar, the word gospel itself, Evangelion, um, that comes from the Roman Empire, right? When Caesar would enter the town, they would say, "Rise, right? The gospel of Caesar." is being the good news of Caesar has come, right? And so the gospel writers 
are playing off that. They're like, no, it's the God, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is good news. Are you with me, church? So it's the empire versus the kingdom of God, essentially. Right? And in the empire, power rules. Right? And when power rules, there's corruption, there's oppression, there's injustice, there's barriers, there's hostility, there's racism. There's all of these things that become barriers. Right? But where the rule of God is, there's peace. Where Jesus Christ is, there's peace and love and unity. Are you with me, church? That's all I got. Um, <laughs> Paul is subversively highlighting an alternative truth. God is the true Lord of the household. Security and identity flow from adoption in him, not from institutions made by human hands. Those who are displaced are no longer aliens. The passage points to the idea that God has created a new humanity. He has gathered to himself a new people to become a blessing to all nations. God's vision for humanity has not changed. What he has done has been done since the beginning. We are the ones who have lost the vision. The message in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, is that Christ has made a new way for God's glory and presence to go out to all nations. He's breaking down the walls and swinging open the doors to the inner sanctuary. The veil has been ripped. A new humanity made free through adoption in God's family will become the carriers of God's presence. We are his holy people. And as we live out our identity as God's people, we become a witness to his glory to all people. We all have access. There's no inner sanctuary. Right? Come to the altar. His arms are open wide. What does this mean for us? You know, I heard a, a couple that was recently married talk about how they had a counseling, premarital counseling. And uh, the counselor astutely says to the man in the relationship, your wife is giving up her name. What are you giving up? <laughs> it's like, woo, man. Uh, and then I heard another guy, uh, a church planner, talking about when you move to two services, right, or you have two services and you're moving to one service, right? A lot of people are like, oh, do we meet at, should we change to 9.30 or should we change to 11? Which way are we going to go? And there's tension and argument. It's like, the best practice is actually to change it to a totally new time, right? Neither 9.30 or 11 o'clock, how about 10.30, right? Because then both con both meeting times are making a change for the new, right? And this is what Paul is talking about, a new humanity, right? Everybody is making concessions, right? Everybody sacrifices. And we're going to talk about that more in the ethics portion of Ephesians. Is how does everyone make sacrifices and kind of die to their worldly identity in order to take up this new identity and the new humanity of Jesus? 
Amen? It doesn't work unless we serve and submit to one another. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work without Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, just coming and bringing peace. In a time uh, full of tension and division and wars and the rumors of wars and politics and people hurting, um, rich and poor, the divide between rich and poor getting greater and greater, um, that you stand in the middle and offer an alternative, offer a new way uh, for us to be together as one family. And you call us into a ministry of reconciliation uh, to, to be bridge builders, to, to come and bridge the gap, to make concessions, to serve one another, to lay down our lives in order that your vision can move forward for who we are to be in you. 